Welcome back to the Deconstruction Zone. We have a very special guest that I'm very excited about. Uh, his name is Kristen Mayfield. He wrote this book called Attached to God. I don't know if you can see it, but um, <laughs> it <laughs> talks about attachment theory and how that relates to our spiritual journeys. It's been a really helpful book in my own deconstruction, and I'm so glad, Kristen, that you're willing to come on our podcast. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, really excited to talk about attachment, talk about uh, what it means for faith. And yeah, just really honored that you asked me to come on. Yeah. Um. So I guess I just want to get started. We talk a lot about like my personal deconstruction story and my co-host Danny's a little bit as well. So like, whatever you're willing to share, what was your church upbringing like? And then do you feel like you have deconstructed? What has that process been for you? I know that's a massive question, but just like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I grew up in um, white evangelicalism. I grew up in a like a small rural town in Oregon. And then when I was 12, I uh, moved to China because my parents became missionaries. So then during my teen years, I was part of a small missionary community, um, which reflecting back on I'm like, oh, yeah, like every single person I knew was like the most extreme radical like <laughs> person, you know, like, yeah. so the norm for me of my spiritual community was like, people that would pack up everything and move across the world uh, for Jesus. And so, um, and actually, that experience was like, all over the map. Um, because we were a small, diverse, like theologically diverse community. Um, and so it was like one year would be like super charismatic, like sort of Bethel IHOP vibes. Mm. <laughs> um, and then the next year would be like those people left, uh, back to the States for a year. And now the worship leaders are like Southern Baptists who like, don't want anyone to raise their hands, but it was like mm. all sort of within the same like church community. So it's interesting. That's very interesting. I'm wondering if, uh, as like a like as a missionary being like we're the most radical that will like go places did you mm -hmm. guys look down upon like christians who maybe weren't missionaries um i think that uh i mean as a kid it was like and a teenager like i i would say yes i but it's funny i like i was that like super like self-righteous kid that like look down on the other like missionary kids <laughs> so, <laughs> and i had an online magazine uh that i wrote articles um so there's like proof i recently was able to like access it um it's not like live on the internet before but i found the archives and it is painful <laughs> oh i it's very similar i was a very like self-righteous christian teen and also like wrote for this website and i like read back some of these <laughs> articles and i was like oh man <laughs> like this is <laughs> not my favorite <laughs> uh -huh. um so okay so that was kind of your upbringing do you would you say that you have deconstructed or like i guess what's your relationship with that term because it's kind of a yeah. buzzword right now well i think um like to i think so that was kind of up through my teenage years and actually like the next uh, 10 years after that is also relevant. I went to Bible college um, to become a pastor, like a youth pastor, um, and then shifted um, early on into psychology to be a therapist. Um, and then after school, went to Minneapolis um, to join a 
like a mission organization there that worked with <clears throat> like a variety of groups. Um, and so that was kind of like my story and my path. And what I found was like, after going to Bible college, like after doing ministry for years, after full-time ministry, like I still felt like things were not okay between me and God. Like God was always mm -hmm. disappointed in me. Like God is always judging me. Um, and so that was at a point where coming out of ministry and then doing some of some more trauma work, um, <laughs> cause I was, uh, in and out of therapy for, for several years, um, working on different things, but that, um, coming out of ministry and then going in and doing some trauma work, um, I was starting to recognize that this feeling like there's something really broken and wrong about me for one is like something that happens when you experience trauma, when mm -hmm. kids experience trauma, they have this like core feeling of like, there's something broken about me. There's something defective about me. I'm unlovable. Um, but unfortunately, uh, certain streams of Christianity uh, will be like, yep, that feeling is true because it is <laughs> how God actually feels about you. Um, and so I started to like, but that gave me sort of like a doorway to be like, Ooh. wait a minute, if this is like true of kids that have gone through abuse, then like, should this really be true of my faith? Like, um, and so that was kind of like the the door. So that was where I got into attachment theory. And basically what was really helpful about attachment theory for me was, which I'll, I guess I should introduce is basically like <laughs> uh, attachment theory. You may have heard of attachment styles, but, um, but it's based out of um, the kind of the basic question of like, what does healthy attachment look like between parents and children? And uh, and their children and uh, what are those dynamics when they're healthy? And so I was looking at this and I was reading this literature about what a healthy parent child dynamic looks like. And I was like, and then I was reading descriptions of what an unhealthy parent child dynamic <laughs> looks like. And I was like, this feels familiar. This is like the parent child dynamic I was taught was between God and I. Um, whether it's like, it's up to you to maintain the relationship, you have to like white knuckle it or like this idea of like God being like, I love you in spite of who you are. You're so disgusting to me, but I love you anyway. And, and, and I think the other part was like also becoming a parent and being like, mm. I would never, like, I don't feel that way about my kids. Like, and that's not even the, the, a category that I have for my kids. I don't assess them and then decide whether they're lovable or not it's not and it's also not like oh they're good enough like my kids are amazing that's why i love them it's just mm -hmm. like i love them and that whole like judgment assessment piece doesn't like even come into it um but that was like the heart of the quote-unquote gospel that i was given which is like god is always assessing you god is always judging you yeah and so i you post like you post little snippets of things like this of like God doesn't love you in spite of who you are like he just loves you and I like if I share that on an Instagram story the amount of people that swipe up and they're like what is this crap like, this just, like, <laughs> like and I'm just like I think this is really beautiful and important mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's like we've intertwined us sucking with the gospel so much mm -hmm. and it like it messes with you. So I guess before we get into the attachment styles, I guess 
Well, no, like we're getting into it, but <laughs> to start with a secure one, what would you say a secure attachment with God looks like? So basically, um, what it might be helpful to like talk about, like, what does a secure relationship look like with a parent and child? Mm-hmm. And then, um, cause I think that sort of like brings that to mind, hopefully in your mind's eye in a way that you can sort of like grasp it. Um, so a, a healthy parent child dynamic is for one, like, I love you no matter what, um, because I love you, not in spite of who you are, or, um, it's really not about performance at all. Um, in a healthy parent child dynamic, um, it doesn't mean that we just like, I don't just let my kids do whatever they want. Um, <laughs> we have conversations about like, what's healthy for you, what's healthy for our family, etc. But their behavior does not have any bearing on like how I feel about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other piece there is they um, generally, I'm not a perfect parent, but um, generally they feel comfortable coming to me with their concerns, with their anger at me, with their sadness, those sorts of things. And so there's this element of like, I'm, I'm accessible uh, to them. And so when we think about with God, same thing of like, God cares a lot about us. God is with us. God is, uh, is not uh, withholding God's presence based on our behavior. Um, And, and then, you know, we can go to God with whatever feelings we have. Um, If we, if we feel like, oh, I have to always be happy, or I always have to be hopeful or have faith or whatever, like, that's not actually a, that doesn't set us up for an authentic relationship with God. That is like a relationship that says like, you have to be a certain way in order to connect with me. I I love it. I love the line of like, God is not withholding his presence from you because one, like, I think there are a lot of kids who experience that from parents. Like, right. Like if you make them upset then the parent like goes to the room and shuts the door or like, mm-hmm. like, so you lose the relationship and it's easy to think about that with God. And I, I used to have a, like when I was very in the church, had like an accountability partner, you know, and uh-huh. she would, and she would always say to me, like, if I told her, like I messed up, she would be like, Emily, God is not withholding his presence from you. Hmm. And every single time she said that, I was like, I didn't even realize that that's the reminder I needed, hmm. but I felt like, like, I, like, I get, do you remember those moments where maybe like you felt like you had just done something wrong and then you like wanted to pray, but you were like, no way does he want to talk to me right now. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's so I'm kind of going all over the place, but it's so interesting because like, I feel like as someone who was raised very reformed, like I'd say, like, I know that my, I was able to say that I know that my actions don't affect my standing with God. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I really believed that, but I think part of the reason why I didn't think my actions um, affected my standing with God is because he already thought so little of me. Mm. And so it's like when I would sit and he's like, like same shit as always. Like, like <laughs> yeah. Like well, I, just like, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like, I, for me, it was like, God is keeping me around because one day I'm going to be redeemed and like made into this perfect version of Crispin. Um, and that's the Crispin that God actually loves. And Ugh. like, God is just like bearing with me until then. And so, uh, and also, like, kind of similarly, an, another sort of analogy 
was, you know, being told like, when God sees you, God doesn't see you. God sees Jesus. And, uh, and what that meant to me as like a teenager was like, you're so disgusting. Um, that if God actually saw you for who you were, who you are, like God would not be able to stand you, would not want to be around you. Um, so you have to wear this Jesus mask, um, which doesn't actually make us feel loved or liked or like the hallmarks of like a healthy relationship, right? Things that you would expect from someone they say they, that someone who says they love you, right? Yeah. Would is not the kind of person that's like, but I can't stand to be around you unless you like wear this Jesus mask or that sort of thing. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, the, you know, this idea of like, God can't be around sin, um, mm, mm. which uh, Bob Eckblad um, is uh, an author and a theologian. And so he was the first person that pointed this out where he's like, to me, I mean, uh, I just want to give him credit for that. But he's like, Adam and Eve sin, and then God shows up and then like Cain kills Abel and then God shows up and like mm. Moses kills someone and runs into the desert and meets God like this narrative of like God can't be around sin doesn't actually like fit with the narrative that we see in scripture. Um, and even the, um, where that passage comes from, um, oh, I can't think of it now, but you know, you, we probably know that, um, thing about like, God can't look on sin. Um, but actually in that same chapter, it says, so why do you like, basically it's like, you're supposed to be holier and yet you still hang out with humans who are sinful, um, which, by the way, like with this logic, if Jesus, I mean, if Jesus had come to earth, if this was true, when Jesus came to earth, yeah. he would have just been like puking everywhere. Right. But like we, <laughs> we don't actually see that. We see that mm. Jesus genuinely enjoys being around people. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I never like put that together. But yeah, that's like we hear that so often of like God mm-hmm. can't be near sin or around sin which is why he like had to distance himself from adam and eve in the garden but it's like that's not what happened like he ran towards him mm-hmm. um but what you were saying about uh like when god looks at me he sees jesus i was um this might be a little like of a niche song but uh <laughs> before the throne of god above did you ever sing that song uh it sounds yeah, f- yeah i mean yeah, I don't know the rest of the lyrics, but I could sing the first line to you because you just <laughs> uh, told me the words. Yeah, but it says, um, it says like, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And mm-hmm. and I remember this was like this was not that long ago. This was like two years ago. I was at like a like a college ministry conference, and the speaker said he was like what is a question you're really scared to ask God? And I did not expect it. Like, I didn't know what my answer would be. And immediately I just said, what does God love about Emily? Hmm. Because it's like, I knew that I, I knew that I was in the family, but I, I felt completely, cause we often say like we're hidden in Christ, you know, like it's like, hmm. so it, like that's like, and I'm like, well then I don't feel seen or loved. And I brought that to the speaker. Like, I was like, this is my question. And he didn't really have an answer for me. Like, he was just like, well, (laughs) he was like, like, I mean, like, he was like, I mean, God loves you, but like, he's not happy with you. Mm -hmm. So that I was like, but I want to be seen. Like, I know that God loves Jesus, but does God love specific things about me? Mm -hmm. And 
the way that total depravity was handed to me was that everything about me was vile. Mm-hmm. And like, I had someone say to me one time, Emily, I think you're going to be surprised um, when you become like glorified Emily, what doesn't change about you? Hmm. Which was like beautiful, right? Because mm-hmm. I thought total depravity meant everything about who I am is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't think it was possible that God could love anything about me. Right. You're like the makeover boyfriend, right? <laughs> In like a rom-com where they're like, oh, this guy is like, he's trash. But like, if we like, you know, change him and like make him into like, then, then he'll be like boyfriend material, right? Yeah, I was, I was just listening to a comedian talk about how like moms do so much and then their family like signs them up to go on this makeover show and they're like, (laughs) surprise, thanks for everything you do for us. We hate looking at you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And then they like, then they like come and then she comes back. And they're like, you're so beautiful. You look nothing like yourself, (laughs) which is really funny. But it's also like, that is totally what I thought the hope of the gospel was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you cannot be yourself and therefore be loved. Which is so sad. (laughs) But it's like, Mm -hmm. I just thought that that was like, I I honestly thought that self-hatred was me being a good theologian. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is like, that is such a bummer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But like, so here's, maybe you felt this, maybe you didn't. I wrestled with this in therapy for a while of like, thinking because I thought I was all bad. Yeah, my my relationship with God was insecure. But also that made my relationship with myself very insecure. Because I I literally looked at my therapist. We're really getting into it. (laughs) And I said, uh. I feel like I'm living inside of a monster. Mm. Mm. Like if I'm depraved, like I'm like this, this is who I am. And I don't feel safe in my body or in myself because Mm. I'm, there's only, I'm living in someone who's all bad. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This heartbreaking and very relatable. (laughs) And like, as a therapist like what I notice, like there are lots of different reasons that self like we have that like harsh self-critic but mm-hmm. usually that self-critic is trying to help us be loved right and so mm-hmm. um that negative voice that's saying like stop doing that or like you're you're so ugly or whatever it is or like you're so annoying the goal is like if if I could change this about myself then maybe I will get the love that I need and therefore like as long as god is disgusted with you like you you are not free to accept or love yourself because you know if if i accept and love myself then that means that i might lose god's love and which means i might burn in hell forever and lose not only god's love but like lose everyone that i love or something like that in in heaven but also like on earth like i feel like if I, if I were to have said in my church upbringing, like, I really like this about myself, mm-hmm. they would have been like, girl, uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. chill, you know, like, mm-hmm. some, like, oh, we have some pride issues, or we have some, like, remember that you're depraved. And like, mm-hmm. I remember this is, I'm since even like further than this, but I had a pastor tell me, because I said, I thought he was like, Emily, Sin is like cancer. And he was like, because I was telling him I just felt like everything about me was bad. 
Hmm. And he's like, total depravity. He was like, how I see it is that every aspect of you has cancer, but like, you're not a walking ball of cancer. And the Hmm. sin, like, and no one goes around and says like, I'm cancerful. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. They say like, oh, I have cancer. It's not Mm -hmm. who they are. Mm -hmm. It's something that they struggle with. And he was like, Emily, what's the first thing that God says about humanity? And I was like, oh, he says it's very good. Like, he was like, that's the original statement. And to shift that was huge. Like, I was like, oh, I'm not just a walking ball of crap. Like, I, like, there are beautiful things about me, and I bear the image of God and bear the image of glorified Emily. But, like, and there's things to work through. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. Yeah. So, yeah. if I could jump in and, um, there, like, <laughs> The so there's this idea of like being uh trauma informed uh therapists aspire to this, organizations do, and instead of asking what's wrong with you, we ask what happened to you. So if someone is mm-hmm. um say someone is like really violent, like we're going to assume that that violence has come because they've have not felt safe. Um, they did not learn early on that the world was safe. And so in order to protect themselves, they've had to be aggressive and violent, for example. Um, so this is, this is maybe heretical, but, uh, this is like my theory of original sin It's like, we are born into a world where our needs are not met perfectly. And we have to come up with other strategies to meet those needs. Like that is just what humans do. Like we, we are solution based creatures that are based on surviving and sometimes surviving means doing violence or uh, being deceptive or whatever it is. Um, and so really the, the, what, it, what transformation looks like um, and like holiness quote unquote, right? Like in that old paradigm is like, you're bad and you're trying to get good. Um, the, which is a hopeless endeavor anyway, but you're still <laughs> supposed to try all the time. Uh, the shift to like, oh yeah, like I, I have these ways of behaving to cope with a world that is broken um, that I was born into. And uh, as I heal, as I feel a sense of safety, which I think is throughout scripture, like God keeps on saying, I'm going to take care of you. So you don't need to like exploit other people or oppress other people mm-hmm. or hoard or like, all these like unhealthy behaviors um, as we feel safe in our relationships um, and that sort of, and like, um, and heal, then we don't have to reach for those behaviors as much. And I think that's just a much more helpful paradigm. It makes me not hate myself. (laughs) Like (laughs) truly, truly. Right. To say, to say like, I even, I heard in a podcast recently, like, Addictions are almost always a just um, an attempt at regulating your affect, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. and even that like I was just like, oh oh okay so like unhealthy patterns isn't me just being a crazy person like it's it's us trying to figure out trying to get to this place of safety and security same mm-hmm. with our unhealthy actions like and just even just like the grace that that lets me give to myself to me mm-hmm. is such a paradigm much less much less thinking oh man, that is like, that is how God sees me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is like, this chick is crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. and does so much wrong and is bad like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, that doesn't go away in a day. 
-hmm. Like, I think that's what, like, I loved your book and this process of deconstruction is like so good and so important, but I still like often think of myself as like gross. And it's like, Mm -hmm. so what is, Mm -hmm. it's frustrating that it's a long process. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately um, because for one, I hear this like, yes, this all makes sense to me (laughs) and like I still feel terrible Um, Mm -hmm. and just knowing a lot about uh, like learning more and more about therapy and um, different like modalities of like different types of therapy and what it is is our, our, our reality uh, that our mind experiences what we believe is true is really bound up in images mm-hmm. and um, and so and we're giving we are given some really powerful images um, in the church uh, that are powerfully unhelpful um, <laughs> right like I think about all the like object lessons uh, that I've seen in the church to to tell me about how disgusting I am right like um, like I, I think one of the um one of the ones that really stands out to me is like seeing like children's um like a children's lesson with like here's a picture of you and like here's your black heart which uh goes right in mm-hmm. the middle of you and um which by the way like in a white supremacist nation like is problematic as well in that mm-hmm. we're equating blackness with uh sin uh but but also just like, what's that message like to like a four or five-year-old to be like, at your core, you are defective and broken. And that Mm. image sticks in your brain in this nonverbal way that then later on learning like maybe different statements about like, God loves me or I'm not bad or whatever, like is not powerful enough to replace that image. We need new images. so, which is, has been like a huge thing for me. Like I've had mm-hmm. through my process of deconstruction and reconstruction, um, finding things along the way that I can like cling on to in my mind. So I'm going to push it even farther. If, if you don't want to go here, that's okay. But like how you're saying about the, like the black heart, like that, that like feeling about that image is how I'm currently feeling and struggling with jesus on the cross Mm. like i in our last Mm. episode it got pretty intense and i and dustin our producer was like on the episode and he and he said something about jesus dying and i just said i'm so sick of that story Mm. which is he was like that is so sad and i was like i'm sure it's sad but i when i hear that story all i see is i should be up there Mm-hmm. no and exactly this, yeah. yeah that that is like that is the thing is that like we, we are told here's an image of god's love for you but it's not mm-hmm. actually an image of god's love it is mm-hmm. for one it's a complex metaphor um it's not as uh it's not as powerful as like i'm gonna put dirt in this water and ask you if you want to drink <laughs> it like those those metaphors are are much more powerful um mm-hmm. if you're saying like you're you're terrible and rotten but also god loves you and here's a picture of god loves you as jesus on the cross but also yeah what you're saying is like that image of jesus on the cross actually is like god hates you so much that god wants to torture you 
but instead Jesus did it for you. Like that, if that, to me, that was the ultimate, oh, to me, that was the ultimate image, not of like Jesus' sacrifice or whatever, but of what God wants to do to me. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, it would be like having like a violent, abusive parent who just is like, I actually know someone who, t- like one time when they got punished, instead of like them getting beaten, like the mom beat the dad and beat, was like, this is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, yeah. but it's like, I mean, that like messes with you, right? So like, mm-hmm. it's it feels like this threat looming over of like, this is what I want to do to you because I'm so disgusted with you. But look, I did it to someone else. But also like, when I was like three, I think I've already said this on the podcast, but uh, they said in Sunday school, they were like, every time you sin, that like adds a second to how long Jesus has to stay on the cross. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, I'm sure he resents me then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> like how do you oh not gosh. feel resented by jesus mm-hmm. if that's all you're thinking about because they're like you put him up there and god just really wants to do that to you like how unsafe mm-hmm. yeah exactly so that was something that led me into like all right what does the cross mean like um what does it mean? <laughs> Tell which, me, I, which i have a few different theories on um Uh, You know, one is like something that was really a game changer for me was recognizing that um, Jesus was a victim of violence. And Mm. um, and so rather than Jesus being there instead of me, uh, this Mm. idea of like Jesus there with me um, Mm. as as an abuse survivor, like being like, oh, like, yeah, Jesus knows what that's like um, and Jesus enters into our suffering in that way um when i think about when i think about what the cross meant to paul um it's it's uh this is what it what it is is my best summary um is that the israelites believed as everyone did at that time that gods and humans were different uh Mm -hmm. qualitatively different so that if gods and humans came into the same space the humans would die not because the god was angry but because that's what happens um the almost heretical podcast has a whole series on this it's like nine hours um (laughs) and they talk about it being like toxic like waste or something like that where it's just like it is it was the science of their time it wasn't like god is angry at you and wrathful it is just like gods and humans can't be in the same space and therefore we need like a hazmat suit uh so that they can be in the same space and so god says i actually want to dwell among you as a god i'm not able to do that um so i'm going to create uh, this barrier which is blood um and so then sets up the temple system um and says all right this is how god and people can be together Uh, i want to be with you Um, And then Jesus on the cross is, and we see this like theme throughout scripture and Paul of like, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice in the sense Mm -hmm. of like, Jesus is like, okay, like once and for all, I am breaking down, I'm creating a a place where uh, humans and God can be together. And so that's why Paul is so excited. He's like, we don't have to go through the temple system anymore. And Mm -hmm. every single person in the world is able to be with God and have a relationship with God in a way that wasn't previously possible. 
Uh, what's funny is like, I don't know if we believe that anymore. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's what we believe currently. That was what Israel believed. And that is Who, how, sorry, who's we like in like American culture, like mm. I don't, and I think even like in reformed circles, like maybe, but there it's much more like, oh, you've, you've wronged God and that's why you have to pay. They're not saying like God is other and just can't dwell among us. And we needed uh, to shed blood uh, in order to, in this like ritual in order to bring the divine close. Like it sound, if you like, take your christian context out of it sorry this is me getting really nerdy if you take like the the christian history context out of it and you just heard this right like if you went to a tribe somewhere and they're like oh yeah we shed blood so that god can come close to us you would be like yeah this feels very primitive um and so in that way what i mean is like i don't know if we still hold that like primitive belief uh for lack of like maybe primitive is is uh too degrading of a word but like it's very uh it's not very modern right Mm -hmm. and um and but i think that's the problem that jesus was solving and so um and that's really different than like god is angry at you and wants to make someone pay this is like uh yeah how can god and humans come together in this way that wasn't previously possible i think i would say that like it was kind of framed like that to me but like God chose blood as the thing that gets it together to remind you that like the cost of sin is death. Mm-hmm. So it's like close, but just a little bit scarier. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is wild. Like even like it, when you go back and you look at some of the temple uh, customs and traditions, like the, the animal that bore sin actually was released into the desert. It mm. wasn't killed. Um mm. And so it's really interesting, like these things that we seem really clear to us um, are not it actually like when you look at it closer, you're like, actually, like there you kind of fudged some stuff here to say like, oh, this is just like a representation of what happened um, in the, you know, old in the Hebrew um, Bible. So this is a pretty intense question. I feel like I've said that before every question. (laughs) Like, this is, we're in an interesting place in this podcast because we're kind of just along for my deconstruction journey. And Mm -hmm. honestly, in a pretty, like, rough place right now where I, like, in in our last episode that we recorded, I said, like, I feel like I'm playing Operation and trying to pull the, like, bad stuff out of Christianity but I keep hitting the sides and keep getting less and less regulated. And then I'm worse mm. with the tweezers. Like, mm-hmm. and I just want to put the game away. Mm-hmm. And like, so I guess my question is like in studying this, in seeing like all the ways that how the gospel was brought to you messed with your head. Like mm-hmm. what? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to this be a leading question or like why work so hard to like keep going with it. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes. Um, And that is a good question. I would say, um, if I'm just really honest, like I, at the point that I was really deconstructing this stuff, I didn't feel, it didn't feel okay for me to like discard it all. Like that felt too scary and threatening. Um, 
And now on the other side of it, I found um, a faith that is actually life-giving. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and so, but I, I'm also at a point where I'm, I'm nowhere near a fundamentalist um, in the sense of like, yeah, this is my faith. And I think that it is true. Um, and I also think that God... I believe in um I believe in God and I believe Jesus is God and I also think that God has shown up throughout the world in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. um and so um which isn't exactly what you asked but mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that there is this piece of like yeah like I know that I I I believe in in spirituality and I believe in a divine being that is working all things towards um justice and healing and wholeness um and so that's why um but yeah yeah. I love that I think (laughs) it's like I mean and I hope to be there one day um, (laughs) like I think it's I think that's the thing though it's like if you let's bring it all the way back to like parent and child like I Mm -hmm. if you've only experienced a parent who thought you were gross it almost feels easier to just say, well, then I'm just going to be parentless. Mm-hmm. When in reality, I think that we all long for a secure relationship with a parent or like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and so it's like, but it's like every time as I'm working towards security, it's like triggering of how I used to think parents were. Mm-hmm. And that is hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it is okay to, what I would say, this sounds almost like, um, condescending, uh, but I want to say like, oh yeah, you can totally like end up wherever you end up. Like you don't have to hold on to any of this because I believe that God loves you and is going to take care of you, whether you believe in God or not. So like I said, it almost sounds like condescending but that's kind of like where I land and I I really believe that in the sense of like whatever you need to like throw out like throw out and if it's the whole Mm. thing throw the whole thing out because um because I I I think that God would rather you have no God than a God that is always disgusted with you oh He's going to cry. Yeah. Like that. I guess I don't even think about that part of it. Of like, God is also wanting security for us. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's with growing up in a shame attachment. It's hard to feel like God's on your team on this journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Piper at one point, I'm just going to use this as a, a great <laughs> example, a terrible example. Uh, <laughs> Piper. uh says you know imagine being a kid um at the pool and your dad says you know jump and i'll catch you you know jump off the side of the pool and i'll catch you and then you refuse to jump how does that make your dad look (laughs) (laughs) and the the therapist in me is like okay this is like like this we're talking about like narcissistic parent like you exist to fulfill my needs and make me look good um, and I don't think that that is how God operates. Um, mm. I've never read the book, um, 
but uh, the book Silence. Um... <gasps> so good. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about and it. So, um, and I was trying to remember the name of the author. Um, Shishaku Endo. Thank you. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I've only like, uh, my wife has told me about this part, but it has stuck with me where um, they're like, there's this Christian that is, I think a priest that's going to be executed unless he steps on the face of Jesus, mm-hmm. like this image of Jesus. And Jesus speaks to him through the image and is like, step on me. Like, this is what I'm here for. Like, yeah. and that makes me want to cry. Um, and I think that is, that is a healthy parent child dynamic is like, I'm here for you. Like you're not here for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what love is too. Like if we say like, God is love, like that makes total sense to me. And so God, I can imagine God being like, in fact, I'll tell one more story um, <laughs> from uh, Padre Gotuma. Uh, if you haven't read the book in the shelter, um, it is amazing. Um, and he tells a story. It's actually about his mom. His mom grew up with an abusive mother. Um, and so, um, late in life when she was very ill and close to death, um, she had this vision of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus appear to her. Um, and she's Catholic. So you can imagine like the, the importance of having, uh, mother Mary appear, And Mary says to the mom, like, you never liked me very much, did you? Right? Because that makes sense. Like, you you remind me of my abusive mother, and I don't like you. Mm. Um, And so the mom says, no, I didn't. And uh, Mother Mary says, that's okay, and then disappears. And, like, I think that is, like, a picture of God being like, oh, yeah, if you don't trust me, that totally makes sense. Like, I can handle that. Like, I just want your well-being. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not – this isn't about me. This is about you. Okay. I I actually have another question now because this is really interesting to me. That's a, like, narcissistic parent thing of, like, my question as soon as you said that is, like, then why did God make us? Because, oh, because, like, all (laughs) – I mean, I guess I thought that God made us – because like he just he just wanted people to worship him (laughs) like that's what they said like yeah so why this is gonna sound negative but it's how it's in my brain so i'm just gonna be honest like Mm -hmm. why but i guess this is like why do anyone have kids right yeah but it's like why would god just like create a liability if it's not ultimately for himself Mm-hmm. that's a dark way to say it but it's what's in my mind yeah yeah i mean that's a huge question like that is like yeah. problem yeah, so just level, 30 right? seconds what do you think yeah. <laughs> but but i i do i think that um i think that love wants to create and wants more relationship um mm. so i think that's where that comes from um and yeah it's a good question um but I just say like that there's something about God that God, like you said, like people have kids. Uh, maybe, maybe God just had a biological urge. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but along those lines, like, yeah, God um, created us. And, um, and I really like Danielle Schroyer wrote a book called original blessing. And she talks about presents some, like a variety of kind of, um, opinions on the story of the fall and one of them 
she talks about is like there actually are a lot of people like throughout history that have read this as like a coming of age story like god creates us mm-hmm. and part of being human and growing up is like making bad decisions and making good decisions and having agency in the world and having an impact on the world um and and so i i look at it that way like god created us and then we like have kind of fumbled along the way because that's what it means to be human um and god also is trying to like partner with us so that we can make better decisions that are healthy for us and healthy for everyone else Oh, I love this. Oh my gosh. Um, so like, let's go ahead and wrap up. I feel like I sound like a therapist. <laughs> like, it's about time, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, do you have any final thoughts uh, for the deconstructor listening or maybe, yeah. And then also, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah. Um, I, I just would say like, trust your gut. Um mm-hmm which I think has been kind of a theme that we've been talking about today is like, this is how it felt for me and that doesn't feel good. And so if it doesn't feel good, uh, then, you know, it's, I, you have total license to, um, to change your theology, which by the way is what Jesus does throughout the gospels um, where he's like, this isn't working. Like we're going to change Sabbath. (laughs) Um, So, you know, just, just follow Jesus in that. and yeah, it's funny. We didn't even get to attachment styles, uh, which is great because the stuff we've been talking about today is really like the heart of like why I wrote the book. I was like, mm. the attachment styles is like, you know, helpful, but like just being able to name the ways that this upbringing impacted us psychologically and impacted our relationship with God and made us like really like have difficulty feeling loved by God is what was really important to me. So um, there's that. And then I have um, uh, a couple of podcasts. One is called Attached to the Invisible that goes through a lot of this attachment stuff um, with God, um, with another, uh, with a licensed clinical social worker friend of mine, Amy. Um, And, but my, uh, my wife and I have been running a podcast for, uh, right after the 2016 election. Uh, so right after 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump, we were like, we're going to look at the media of our evangelical upbringing and try to understand how do we get here? So we started with mm-hmm. uh, Focus on the Family's radio show, Adventures in Odyssey. Um, but we've talked about uh, uh, This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti um we went through a christian romance series uh this last year um Mm. and right now we are going through um basically it's going to take us a year to go through uh jesus freak by dc talk um (laughs) and so and one last thing i'll add is um there uh was a season i did for our pod for the prophetic imagination station podcast called shame core records which is about christian hardcore but it's actually about like all these themes in christian hardcore that i listened to growing up was all about like self-hatred and so sort of exploring as a therapist Mm -hmm. like what does this mean why were all these teenagers singing about hating themselves um what is it about our theology that we were given that led to this so Mm -hmm. um that came out 
a couple of years ago. But if you're like tracking along with this conversation, it might be worth checking out. Yes. And then finally, uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you and stuff? Yeah, on Twitter um, and Instagram. And you can just search my name, Crispin with a K, Mayfield. Um, because my Twitter handle doesn't make a lot of sense. It's K underscore underscore Mayfield. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you can just Google me um, yeah. and find me there. So if well, if Twitter nice. exists. So we'll see. <laughs> um, well, that sounds so fun. Seriously, Kristen, this has been such a helpful conversation to me. And I'm sure it uh, will be to more people. So thanks for having on. And this is how we end all of our episodes is thanks for listening and embrace the journey. Thanks.